Thank you, Deborah. Good morning. We're glad to see each one of you here today. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Amen. Washed from our sins. It's great to have each of you in the service this morning. We have a, a, mini, a representative of the Gideons with us this morning. He's going to give us a, a brief report. Uh, Steve Dillon's here. He's going to share with us some of the work that uh, the Gideons are doing around the world. Would you welcome him to the pulpit, please? Good morning. I'm Steve Dillon from the uh, Gideons, based here in Faulkner County. I'm really excited to tell you all a report of what the Gideons have done this last year. And Pastor Hamby and First Baptist Church, thank you so much for letting me come and, and give a brief report of what's going on. You see, this report's based on Acts 15:4, and when they come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with him. You see, Robert was getting up one day. He had assigned himself to go to the county fair. It had been a really tough couple of months for Robert. You see, two months ago, Robert's wife was diagnosed with cancer. And that's about as tough as it can get for a loved one, your spouse getting diagnosed with cancer. A month before that, or a month after that, his daughter was diagnosed with cancer. You see, Robert's heart was very heavy that day. He had a lot of things on his mind, but he decided to go do God's work and have a Bible. So he was dressed kind of like I am right now. But let me back up about two years before that. You see, Robert had once again taken one of those assignments and had gone to a park. And he would start handing out Bibles or little personal witness testaments like, you know, like this, about this size. You see, Robert walked up to this little couple that had a little child that was, that was playing on the swing set. He walked up to them and he said, I'd like to give you a copy of God's Word. He gave it to the lady and he says, and by the way, it's going to be all right. They didn't think anything of it. Bob went on to go give out some other Bibles. And he gets a phone call. This couple gets a phone call and says, come to the hospital at once. Your son has been involved in a shooting. They picked up everything, ran to the hospital. They were sitting at the hospital. And the surgeon came out. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The surgeon came out after five hours and said, we don't know whether your son's going to make it or not. But ma'am, I want to tell you that I and the whole surgical team prayed over your son before we started. Got through with the surgery, went up to the ICU, was in the ICU. The mother was just really caught up in the emotion and she picked up her purse and was digging in the purse and she, she saw that little testament. And she said, wait a minute. He said it was going to be all right. So she started reading the Bible. She wrote God's holy word. And a miraculous thing happened. A thing that the Holy Spirit does. You see, Gideons give out one Bible at a time 
and we are only concerned with one soul at a time. Well, something happened, and lo and behold, she started reading the Bible, and the Holy Spirit worked on her, God worked on her, and she gave her life to Christ. Well, not only that, but the son did survive. And you see, she gave her life to Christ. It was all right. They, they had their little one at home after the shooting. What happened was she was so happy. She said, I want to know who this Bob is that gave me this testament. So she called International Headquarters in Nashville. Now, she just called. She found Gideon's, looked it up, called the number, and said, this is Miss Smith. I'd like to talk to Bob. Well, the operator said, ma'am, there are a lot of Bobs that work for the Gideon's. Do you have more of a description? No, he, he said his name was Bob. What happened was, fast forward two years, her and her little one, who'd grown up two years after that, was walking through the fair, looking at all the animals, and walked through the tent, they were giving out testaments, and there was Bob. You see, that was the first time Bob or Robert had given out testament that actually one came back to him. That's a privilege that we all as Gideons look forward to when we can hand out copies of God's word and find out what happens. A lot of times we don't, but we have faith that God's word is going out there, not void. You see, Robert's life was enhanced because of what he did two years before that. Now, what do Gideons do? If I could have the first slide, please. This is what Gideons do. They hand out Bibles. This may be a little unusual to you. I don't know whether, uh, uh, Pastor Hanby, I know you're going to different countries uh, and you're going to Guatemala. This was actually in South America. They were handing out Bibles. You see, they were handing out Bibles, and this, they handed this Bible out. And this guy, this student picks up this Bible and says, I can tell you what I'm going to do. You can tell I, you, what you all can do with these Bibles. I'm going to take this and throw it away. And he threw it away. Gideon's kept on giving out Bibles. See, we're not really worried about students like that. The Lord's going to take care of those folks and tug at their hearts. After they were picking up their Bibles, the whole day of distribution, this law of God comes walking up. His name was Luis. He's covered from head to toe with tar. What's this all about? And he walks up, he says, my name is Luis. I was contemplating suicide. And then God did a miraculous thing. You see, God hit me on the head with this Bible. See, I was up on that building patching the roof. That is the miracles of God's word. You see, Luis wanted to know how to know God. And so the Gideons were there. Miraculous things like that happen all the time with giving out distributions of these Bibles. Can I have the next slide, please? This is a picture of a child who's 17 days old with a picture of his father. This is Lance Corporal Carpenter. This picture has been won, won an award as far as the number of views have been seen through Facebook. Let me give you the exact number as of last night when I looked it up because I want to be accurate. You see, it had 300, I'm sorry, it had 135,000 likes 
It had won a seal of honor from Facebook, had 34,000 comments. Chrissy is Lance Corporal's widow, Andy Carpenter's widow, and she said, the main reason I wanted to have this photo taken was to have a picture of Landon, that's a little baby, with his father. I wish I could tell you how Andy got his Gideon Testament. I do not know. I do know that every time he had field training, he'd like to take it with him out on the field and something to read. You know, I remembered when we got his personal effects back of the Bible. And he said, I saw it in a Ziploc bag. You see, Andy liked to carry the Bible with him. God is definitely a part of a huge part of Andy's life. He gave in his life to Jesus Christ, and he had this little Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, we measure our success one soul at a time, one Bible at a time. There are three things you can do for us. The first thing you can do for us is pray. You see, Arnie was a Gideon here in, in Arkansas. He was giving out Bibles in the Soviet Union. There had been a great explosion. He ran out to see. One bomb went off. A second bomb went off. The reports, they caught the terrorists, and the reports was the next day there was supposed to be number three. Number three did not go off. They do not know why number three went off. See, Andy was standing, or Arnie was standing right next to the first bomb. The third bomb was eight feet away from the second bomb, the first bomb. It did not go off. We asked for prayers. The second thing we asked for is for money that you would spend on lunch and McDonald's and coffee. Not for money you would spend for the church, but extra money. $1.35 buys this Bible, and we also have the Gideon Cards programs. Instead of spending money, get a card. We will provide the card for free. $5 buys a card. And the last thing, if any of you men or professional men, I have um, applications. Ladies and gentlemen for this church, thank you so much, and you are in our prayers. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. We'll be uh, taking an offering for the Gideons at the end of the service. Um, Steve will be available at the back, and we'll ask that you give your offering at that point. Take your uh, Bibles and turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. In the last chapter, we examined three different salvation stories, and today we're going to look at two opposite responses to the Word of God. We've been following the Apostle Paul and Silas and their companions on their second missionary journey. The ministry in Philippi has been successful even though Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail. Now, probably most of us would have chosen to take a few, be- few days off, maybe rest up in bed for a few days after we'd been beaten and thrown into jail. But upon their release, Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, travel over 100 miles to the city of Thessalonica. Surely it must have been a, a difficult three-day journey for them, still recovering from the pain of that beating, covering about 33 miles a day on on foot. They must have been exhausted when they arrived in Thessalonica. 
I want you to see with me the two reactions, two opposite reactions to the word of God. First, there is resisting the word. We look first of all at the proclamation of the word in verse number one. It says uh, that when they had passed through Ampolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now the strategy of Paul's preaching is pretty simple. Paul and Silas once again go to the synagogue. Verse 2 says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Amazingly, some 80% of Americans claim to be saved. But of that 80%, only 60% of them claim to see any need for the church in their lives. Now, that's not in line with what we see exhibited in the book of Acts. The Lord himself in Luke chapter 4 said it was his practice, his habit, settled policy to be in the house of God. These men, they didn't come just because it was a special occasion or because they didn't have anything better to do. They came with regularity and faithfulness to the house of God. The truth is that the church in America, many of them will struggle throughout the summer because the members of that church have not made it a priority in their lives to attend their own church. We see the method of Paul's preaching beginning in verse number two. It says in the synagogue he preached or he reasoned and he explained and he demonstrated. First Paul reasoned with them and the word Translated reasoned is the root word that we get our English word dialogue from. There was an exchange of ideas and questions and answers and he dialogued with them from the scripture. Secondly, he says according to verse 3, he was explaining. The word literally means opening. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 24 and Verse number 31 to describe the opening of the disciples' eyes on the road to Damascus. Paul opened the word with simplicity and with clarity. Simplicity can make all the difference between communication and confusion. For example, you might say, hence from my sight nor let me thus pollute mine eyes with looking on a wretch like you. Thou causes my ills, I sicken at thy loathsome presence. Or you could just say scram. Means the same thing. Simplicity. Third, he demonstrated that Christ had to suffer. The word translated means to give evidence or to prove, as it's translated in some translation. It literally means to place beside or to set before. 
the apostle apparently systematically set before them one Old Testament prediction of the Messiah after another, and then he showed them how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Much like Jesus himself did on the road to Emmaus, When it says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. From Paul's example, we can gather two concepts that are at the core of all true biblical teaching. Scripture is the sole basis of the gospel. And secondly, Jesus is at the center of the gospel. The result of Paul's preaching is found in verse number four. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Jews, or devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul in silence. Some of Paul's Jewish hearers were convinced. But the majority of the converts, we are told, were Gentile God-fearers. Among them were a considerable number of women who seemed to be the wives of the principal citizens of that city. Jason, who is mentioned as Paul's host, was presumably one of those Jews who believed. Aristarchus and Secondus Mentioned in Luke in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, as citizens of Thessalonica were probably also converted at that time. But there was also the persecution of the gospel in verses 5 through 9. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So after preaching for three Sabbaths, some of the unbelieving Thessalonian Jews began to persecute those who did believe. Some of the Jews rejected the message of Paul, and out of envy, it says, they recruited a mob of evil men. The King James Version calls them lewd fellows of the baser sort. I like what A.T. Robinson translated. He calls them bums. They are people who hung around the marketplace looking for some kind of trouble to get into. The mob, however, was unable to locate Paul and Silas. Instead, when they got to Jason's house and were unable to find the apostles, they focused their anger and their frustration on Jason, in whose house the apostles had been staying. They dragged them before the authorities. Look at verse number six. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Now, portraying the evangelist here as these who have turned the world upside down is a pretty severe 
comment. But it is true that turmoil often results when the gospel challenges people to change the way they're living. And that turmoil usually starts with those who reject that challenge to change their lives. There are two accusations made against Paul and his companions. They were itinerant troublemakers who were upsetting people wherever they went. And they were teaching people to defy Caesar's decrees specifically by saying that there is another king other than Caesar and that king's name is Jesus. This accusation betrays Paul and Silas as treasonous troublemakers who are proclaiming Jesus as a rival king to Caesar. Now these are pretty disturbing charges if you understand them, especially if you understand them in the climate in which this is happening. The emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome just a few months earlier because he said they were causing constant riots. Just to have such a thing said about you would be enough to ruin your reputation. But there is enough truth in the charge to make it plausible and dangerous. Now notice the ruling of the magistrates as they're carried before the court. It says, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It's interesting to understand that the authorities made Jason and these others post a bond, what we would call a peace bond, to ensure the good conduct of the apostles. Now, the bond that we're talking about here in the Bible is almost exactly reverse of what you and I understand a peace bond to be in our day. In our legal system, a bond is posted to guarantee the availability of the accused when the trial comes about. In this case, Jason is guaranteeing that the apostles will leave the city and that they will not cause any further problems. So Paul and Silas and Timothy left at night and they traveled to Berea, modern day Berea in northern Greece. Now notice the different reception that it receives as they receive the word of God in Berea. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they did the same thing that they always did. They began in the house of God. They began in the synagogue. And they began to preach the gospel. Now notice how they received the word here in verse number 11. It says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. The first thing that we're told about the people in Berea is that they were more fair-minded. Another translation puts it this way, they were of a beautiful mind. The world thinks that fundamental, 
evangelical Christian is a person to be regarded as not having much intellect and probably not much education. They're frowned upon, they're looked down upon, and they're ridiculed. The word fundamentalist in our day has become a derogatory term in many circles. Are you one of those fundamentalists? The word fundamentalist speaks of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. Whether you know it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you are a fundamentalist if you say that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God and that you hold to it and it alone for all of your faith and practice. You can say then, in answer to that question proudly, yes, I am a fundamentalist. The world really looks down on a person who actively embraces the scripture, but the Bible says you are of a beautiful mind. You are noble in God's sight. It says they received the word eagerly. They received the word with all readiness. There was a sense of expectancy about their listening. One is forced to wonder what a difference it would make if we approached the teaching of God's word with the same enthusiasm that we do with, for a sporting event or a concert. There was an openness to the word of God as it was being preached to them. They had an expectancy that God might be speaking specifically to them. It was this readiness and receptivity to the word of God that set them apart. To listen with eagerness for the teaching of God's word is not something that comes naturally, but is something that requires careful cultivation. That means to cultivate a sense of expectancy when it comes to the preaching of God's word, we need to prepare ourselves. The response of the Bereans betrays the fact that they had trained themselves to approach the teaching of God's word in a certain way. I wonder how many of us came to the worship service today with the expectancy that God wanted to speak to us in this service. He says also that they researched the word thoroughly. Says they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. <clears throat> it says that the Bereans did not just accept what the apostles told them that God said, they checked it out for themselves. How many lies do we end up believing, and how much damage is done to the cause of Christ because? Christians do not take the time to examine what the Bible says. Some who find themselves in a second marriage believe that they are living in perpetual adultery. Some believe that suicide is an unbelievable, unforgivable sin. 
And therefore, those who commit suicide are in hell. And all, both of those are false. And a thousand other lies, simply because we don't examine the scriptures for ourselves. In spite of what some think, acceptance without discernment is not a Christian virtue. In fact, we should always check out what others are telling us that God says. There are some good questions for you to ask in conjunction with any Bible teaching. Where in the Bible does that come from? Is this reference taken in context or is it being used inappropriately? Are there other passages in the Bible that support this teaching? Or are there others that seem to contradict this teaching? Remember, the Bible never contradicts themselves. If there is an apparent contradiction, something's wrong in our understanding. And then what is the traditional understanding of this passage over the centuries? I'm always suspicious. If somebody tells me God has just granted me special insight into this scripture that no one has ever seen before. You know the reason why? Because it's probably not there. And they searched the word daily. A lot of Christians view the Bible like men view instruction manuals. Emergencies only. You get some new gadget, and instead of reading the instruction manual, what do most of us do? We immediately begin pushing buttons. I can figure this out. Now, most gadgets have these warning labels, you know. Stop, don't do this. If you do this, you're going to have a problem. You know what that means? That means that somebody did that. Somewhere, somebody did that and got hurt and sued them. And because of that, they've had to change it. There are some weird warning labels out there. Warning label on an electric router made for a carpenter, right? This product is not intended to use as a dental drill. I'm not kidding, folks. Some guy somewhere got a router. His poor wife or kid had a toothache. He said, I'm not paying to go to the dentist. I can fix that. On the copying machine in an office, a warning on a cartridge from the laser printer says, do not eat toner. Somebody ate it somewhere. A microwave warning on the microwave. Do not use for drying pets. For all you mothers out there, a warning label found on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. (laughs) 
A household iron. Never iron clothes while they are being worn. But I like this one. A child-size Superman costume. Warning. Wearing this costume does not enable you to fly. The Bible is not meant as an emergency only. It is meant for daily use in order that we might get to know God better. It says, and they responded to the word obediently. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. In addition to the Jewish response, there was an encouraging Gentile response as well, particularly among the men and women of the aristocracy of the city, the prominent people of the city. But the peace of Paul's ministry in Berea was ended when the Jewish community in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching in Berea and a delegation is recruited that was motivated enough to travel the 50 miles to Berea just in order to agitate the populace against Paul. It says, according to verse 13, and then when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came from there also and stirred up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, and they departed. The choice is still the same today as it was in that day. In the end, the question is this. How will you submit to the word of God? Will you accept it or will you reject it? And when you hear the word of God proclaimed, how will you know that it's the truth? The answer, of course, is turn to the Bible and examine it. You have no excuse. You have a copy in your own hands, and if you do not have a copy in your own hands, there's one in the pew in front of you. If you don't have one at home, you certainly may take one. All of us should use it to guide and direct our lives. So then, will you be a hearer of the word only or will you be a hearer and a doer of the word? Let's pray. Father, thank you for watching over us today. Thank you for your word that is ever present to guide our lives. Help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word. Help us to examine it daily. Help us to, day by day, include it as a part of our lives. There may be someone here this morning, Father, who doesn't know you in a personal and intimate way. They've never stopped to realize that they're a sinner and that they can't save themselves. Never asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins and never accepted what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Father, I pray that they might 
have that understanding today, and I pray they might in their own words right here in the quietness of this place turn to you and ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness from you, that they might know that they have a place in eternity prepared for those who love and follow you. Father, for all of us, we ask that you'd help us to be Berean believers, people who always check everything that we're taught all along the way by your word so that we may not be misled and that we might stay in the center of your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.